Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Happy Friday morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, February 19th, 2021, and we're excited to be back with you with another new episode. I am Skyping in from home because of our guest list. We've got Lieutenant Gary Traversa, sound engineer extraordinaire on the board. Good morning. Good morning. I can't see the whole studio, but I'm pretty sure that Officer Darren Derby, community outreach and safety officer, is in my normal chair. I am, Chief. Uh, Thanks for Skyping in and allowing me to sit in this chair. (laughs) No problem. And uh, we were just joined in studio by Officer Brenna Dorr. But before we get to Officer Dorr and uh, a quick recap of a couple news items, let's get a check of the weather and we'll get the show started. Let's go. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Winter weather advisory in effect until 7 p.m. EST this evening. Today, light snow this morning, then snow likely this afternoon. Total snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches. Cold with highs in the upper 20s. East wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of snow 80%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. A chance of snow in the evening, then a chance of snow showers after midnight. Cold with lows around 17. East wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming northwest after midnight. Chance of snow 50%. Weather. Welcome back. We are back. Thank, thank you again for tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD. It is a beautiful wintry Friday morning. I think I said this last week or the week before. I'm done with winter. I've had it. Enough is enough. Let's move on to spring. Darren didn't so, mind it last night. No, I didn't mind it. Uh, I'm just finishing up a 12-hour detail with snow removal, Chief. And uh, happy to oh. say that the large percentage of our residents either paid attention to the uh, press release that it was even parking only, or they just usually park off street. So they did good. Well, that's good, that's good news because that change uh, was not entirely well received. Yes. But it seems, it seems to be a... Everybody seems to be adjusting. So let's check a couple news items really quickly. Uh, first, uh, yesterday morning, before I actually left to go to the office, got some notification that our friends to the south in Great Barrington Police and Fire Departments were dealing with a, uh, a bomb threat at Simon's Rock of Bard College. And the article, the piece in the Eagle this morning is very brief, but apparently with the assistance of the Massachusetts State Police, bomb unit they cleared the campus and not you know no device was found fortunately this is normally the case uh, but it's under investigation now by gbpd and uh, state police fire marshal's office so uh, hopefully they're able to clear that threat came in via email which is always weird because you would think that that would be easy but people are bouncing things off of the onion router or other other dark websites so they may never be able to track down that actual source 
And the only other news item I want to talk about, it's actually on the same page in the Eagle, and it's not specifically law enforcement related, but it has you know, great local impact. If, if you follow local news, particularly through the Parks Commission and or the Conservation Commission, our, our open space and recreation, this proposal for a mountain bike park has been moving rapidly forward for a location in Springside Park. And um, the Parks Commission apparently had a meeting on this. Uh, the organizers thought that they were going to get some quick approvals and move forward into the fundraising phase. And that was not the case. Uh, bike course splits the opinion is the headline in this morning's Eagle. And as I was reading it, I I was reminded, of, I haven't really been paying attention to the proposal and the story other than the location, um, but it, it kicked me back a couple of years ago to the huge controversy over the proposed pickleball courts in Springside. Do you remember that? Yeah, we do. And, you know, I, I love Springside Park. I think it is a jewel in our open spaces here in the city of Pittsfield. But man, does that generate some controversy, right? The, the, interpretation from the original gift of what constitutes passive uses as opposed to all of these um i don't say interest groups but i guess that's really technically what they are all these are these organizations that see that large tract of land and like imagine what we could do there and they start these projects and they get way down the track with these projects and then you know the the organizations that don't want to see the park changed at all come out and they're like nope passive use that means you can't do any construction type stuff walk hike jog walk your dogs that's the end of it um so we'll see how this plays out it's interesting yeah and that's um th there was also some recent news about the uh the bike trail being extended down from lanesboro which um i think that's starting up soon so yeah i think you're right that's actually it's actually scheduled to start construction this spring i believe bike related construction nice all right so let's get to the show um, we are joined in we don't have a health update this week uh we we had some scheduling issues so um let's let's just say that there's light at the end of the tunnel vaccine clinics are proceeding hiccups with the expansion that occurred this week but that's not a local issue we've still got capacity at our local clinics as long as the doses get here um but dr colbert would want us to say we're not out of this yet wear your mask maintain your social distancing wash your hands as frequently as possible when you can't sanitize 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 keep up the precautions so we can get through this um you know we're, we're making good progress and i think that uh, chief the Governor Baker's uh, announcement yesterday was a little unexpected um, because of his uh, announcement. Uh, what was it like two days two days prior that they weren't going to uh, drop it down to sixty five? But then it, it came out that they dropped it to sixty five. And uh, happy to say, my sister in law was doing her due diligence and um, her uh, good deeds and helped. Uh, I think eight people get their appointments right off the bat. So that was good. Nice. So. We we talked about this in a um, well, it wasn't a it wasn't a COVID task force meeting. It was kind of a small group meeting around this. And like I I don't want to I don't want to beat up on the governor. He's getting hit from every different direction, right? This this is the type of situation that's so fluid that it's not just changing day to day, but sometimes hour to hour. But you know, one of the things that the governor said when they decided to open it up to the next eligible group was that the signups wouldn't open until. I believe the announcement said 8 a.m. yesterday, so that would have been Thursday. Yep. 
and our local county organizers had been asking for permission to open up to the next eligible group for almost a week because we had slots going unfilled uh, in at least the Pittsfield Clinic uh, last weekend. And I, I haven't confirmed this yet, but what I was told was that after the governor made the announcement, they opened those clinics um, for signups. I, like I will concur. Three, yes. Three, like 3.30 Wednesday afternoon. Um, and so people who got up on Thursday morning thinking that those signups weren't going to be active until 8 a.m., so they started looking at like 6, 6.30 all the clinics were already full from people who got the word early. So those, you know, well-intentioned, I get it. I know, I, I know and respect all the people involved in our local efforts, but when the message and the action don't coincide, then you get frustration. Yep. And, uh, you know, now we have to deal with the frustration. So, but it sounds like we've got doses coming. Um, as a matter of fact, I didn't see any confirmation today. It sounds like if this weather pattern that we're in continues, the governor intends to send the National Guard to pick up any doses that the Commonwealth is due if the big box carriers can't transport them. Well, you know what? I didn't know if you uh, saw Jeremy Squires, our, was our local UPS uh, delivery man uh, for many years. Uh, he has actually changed routes and positions and titles, and he is now uh, part of that uh, a group that actually goes to Albany Airport at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, I think he gets up, or something early like that, and uh, he actually brings that uh, vaccine back here to the western part of the state. So, Is is he actually bringing it? I saw his I, he, post. I, I thought I, that was my understanding, but maybe I read I, it wrong. I think he's the depot manager. Oh, I think okay. he is overseeing the receipt at the airport and then coordinating the placement of it on trucks. Well, that's just like he's important. responsible for that. Yeah. It, it, that's a big deal for Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's kind of like running that little show. So, all right, enough of that. That's the health update. So we are joined in studio this morning by Officer Brenna Dorr. Uh, Officer Dorr, I'm going to say graciously agreed, although voluntold might be a, a better description of the conversation with the that's lieutenant. That's pretty accurate. Uh, <laughs> already early <laughs> i know that she's familiar with that term because officer door is a veteran so voluntold <laughs> is a normal state of affairs uh, but we are joined in studio by officer door and uh i i don't want to embarrass officer door but the the brief conversation that occurred before we came on air after she entered the studio and you guys shared with her that not only was this a radio program but it was simulcast on television maybe one of the funniest things i've heard in recent memory <laughs> and and the only reason it's so funny is officer door is by far one of the most impressive and and courageous and bravest police officers i've had the opportunity to serve with she's special response team and she's a negotiator and she works major cases this woman doesn't back down from anything and you know you're like oh yeah it's television too and i couldn't see her face but the the tone in her voice was don't worry about it Brenna. i think she was impressed i think that was a look of an, uh, that she was impressed chief i'll, I'll i think i can vouch well, for why don't we ask her what was your response when the I mean, she didn't turn around and walk out so <laughs> my response was basically that i didn't brush my hair oh. <laughs> <laughs> well neither did i so well, you're yeah. compensated we're well. coming from different places <laughs> <on that. laughs> all right so officer door i 
I don't remember. You've not been with us on the radio show before, have you? No, I've made it all this time. All this time. Oh. Which I was surprised about yesterday when I asked her, because I thought she had been <laughs> no, on before. No. So I feel yeah. less bad. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So so let's start. Before we get kind of get into your law enforcement career, tell us a little bit about you. You know, where'd you grow up? What are your what were your interests? How'd you end up in law enforcement? Oh, so I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Um and I got interested really young, probably like 12 or 13, and I joined the Explorer program out there, which is an introduction to law enforcement for uh, young people, for those who aren't familiar. And um, that kind of really shaped my path. So I was involved with them um, just until probably 18. And then I moved to Massachusetts and enlisted in the Army. Um, and when I came out, I went through the civil service process and became a police officer. Not originally with Pittsfield, though, right? No, I started in uh, in Adams. All right, so before we get to police work, what would you do in the Army? I was a combat support MP. She says humbly, with, like, that doesn't mean anything. So <laughs> combat support MP, military police, but, but not on the base security law enforcement side, on the field side, right? Yeah, no garrison. No garrison. Yeah, work. so... So what does a com combat support MP do? <clears throat> Everything. <laughs> Everything. Um, they do security and convoy security, key leader engagements and deployment situations, maneuvering element uh, type stuff, a little bit of absolutely everything. And, and it's actually a combat arms MOS, right? It like, is. It, yeah. So I, I just wanted to parse into that a little bit because I think a lot of times people, I was listening to another podcast yesterday, people are like, MP, you know, you, you do gate guard duty and you, you write tickets. There's a whole nother MP community that a lot of people aren't familiar with. When I, I think I first learned about it when I was in high school um, or college, maybe during the first Gulf War, when the MPs had to go in first to secure the routes for the follow-on invasion force. Yeah. So, you know, the infantry and the tanks and the armor and the artillery are loading up on their trucks and getting ready to go. And the MPs are out in front marking the intersections and laying down the route markers so that the drivers know where to go. Um, plus, so uh, you also, MPs and uh, combat support also do like prisoner duties, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a, brand, or a portion of the MOS that does uh, like corrections type thing. So corrections in a facility or collection of POWs in yeah. the field. Yep. Yeah. All right. So that's enough about my fascination with the military police. So you joined the civilian police in Adams, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. How long were you with them? Um, about four years. I had a deployment in between four or five years, um, but I went to Afghanistan in between that time. So I was working there. I left, deployed, um, had a hiccup on deployment and then came back um, and went to the full-time academy and was there for about another year before I came to Pittsfield. How long were you in Afghanistan? Um, about a year. Well, thank you for your service. And So why did you want to leave Adams and come to Pittsfield? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> primarily for, for um, opportunity and, and a little bit more diversity based on you know where I grew up and kind of the policing I was exposed to when I was younger. Um, you know, in Berkshire County, Pittsfield is, you know, what you're going to get for a big city, but 
there's a lot of um, specialized units. We have a whole uh, different mindset. I think that we're, you know, pretty well advanced in uh, what we have to offer and, and kind of how we do our jobs. Little, little more city policing than town policing. Yeah. So let's let me just rewind. I didn't ask you this question. What brought you from Arizona to Massachusetts? Okay, yeah. So um, my mom remarried, and and her husband, uh, my dad, is from here originally. So right before I enlisted, my youngest brother was born. Um, so I wanted to spend some time here and spend some time with him before I enlisted because I knew I'd spend a lot of time away. And then I uh, made it my home of record. So um, I got married and had three beautiful little kiddos so um pittsfield is now my it's my home now no no desire to go back to arizona uh that is a tough question in the winter okay. <laughs> so, especially well, today yes yeah, right? so if you told me that surprise yeah. somebody actually packed your bag and uh the radio show is a hoax there's a plane waiting to go to phoenix i would be gone Phoenix's loss is our game. Yeah. So how long have you been with Pittsfield now? Five years. And and in five years, you have gotten involved in quite a bit of not just frontline police work, but also collateral duties. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not sure that I can actually enumerate or list them all. You are a Explorer Post advisor when we get to have Explorer Post activities, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, Special response team, negotiator with the special response team. You have managed to parlay a couple significant investigations into kind of being our in-house expert on human trafficking. Am I missing anything? No, that's Field good. training. That'll do. Field training oh, officer? Yes, FTO. Field training yeah. officer. <laughs> yep. That's the most important. <laughs> It really is. We're going to talk about that um, in the second half of the show, but definitely, you know, field training is 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 one of the most critical things that our department does and continues to do well. And uh, I was talking to the new probationers when they came out a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Um, you know, I, we I think our field training program is is among the best in the Commonwealth. So. Uh, that's entirely dependent on our field training officers. So thank you for that also, Brenna. And and in the last, well, definitely year, maybe two years, the, the field training function has not been easy. No. Uh, the, 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 the type of people that we are attracting and recruiting are, are I don't, it's just different, right? It's a different learning mechanism. It's a different set of expectations. Um, so we've we've had several extensions that we normally wouldn't have had in the past and field training officers providing us with insight and observations to kind of modify or change training methods. I know you've been a little frustrated with it. It's just tough. I, I mean it's an evolving it's an evolving program. Law enforcement is evolving and society's needs are evolving and um you know the experiences of the generation that's really be trying to become a police officer is changing, so we have to change with that. But of course, there's a learning curve, and that can be frustrating, definitely. So I don't want to get into any detail right now, but I do want to. Uh, I, I don't want to 
get into any of your personal stuff, but I do want you to describe a little bit for the listeners, because I'm not sure that they actually recognize that this is a possibility. Uh, but you're you're currently working a light duty assignment, right? I am, yep. And, uh, you know, again, the, the details are not important, but you experienced an injury. Yes. And, and an officer who experiences an injury on or off duty, you know, at some point reaches a decision point and you have to decide, am I going to sit sit it out for the duration of this injury until I fully healed and cleared for full duty? Or am I going to find a way to get back in there and provide some value added? And your personality is the such that I, I don't, I think you were trying to get on a light duty assignment like the day you got released from treatment <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> you know, and unfortunately we have to jump through some hoops and do some follow-up appointments but so you're back to work um can't deploy into the field so you're you're still working in the patrol division right yes and what is the captain have you doing until we can get you healthy again um i just finished up a um, decent amount of online training and i'm doing some online reporting now so just um reviewing some online reports that come in to kind of take the burden off of the patrol officers that are answering a beat. The, the online reporting system is something we've had for probably over 10 years now, but we really started to capitalize on it and take advantage of it in the pandemic. The, uh, the call volume on the online reporting system is up significantly since the beginning of or the spring of 2020. I believe that. Yeah, so keeping an eye on that is, is definitely important. All right, let's see. What else do I want to talk to you about? Um, how long have you been with the SRT? Um, almost six years. Actually, I think so, I just passed six years. Um, I think October was six years. So in the time that I served with the SRT, and, uh, and since I've been the control chief of the SRT, I think you are only the second or third woman to, to serve with the team. That's, that's got to be a little different. I don't. I, I, people like to think that. I really don't think so. The only difference is I'm really small. Um, so I tend to have to be the person to get picked up and pushed through things more often. Um, and... I have to try harder to pick up very heavy people and very heavy body armor, but um, I make it happen. And um, I, I don't think that there's a, to me, there's not much of a difference, but I can see how outside looking in that might be uh, people's perspective. I'm going to jump in here, Chief, because I remember a specific <coughs> training that we did um, when I was commanding the team a few years ago, Officer Down Rescue. And my back still hurts. Brenna somehow ended up as basically the flatboard between the ground level and um, the floor of the Bearcat with, I'm not going to say who, but one of the larger operators on top of her. And it, I, I, we have photos of it somewhere. I know. Yeah, we're not going to. That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just, you know, Brenna, you know, is the the type of operator that she will do anything that, you know, she's asked to do. Um, she's extremely capable in so many areas. Um, as you said, she's a negotiator, and she, although, you know, she 
may have at times gotten frustrated having to take the helmet off and, and transition into that negotiator role. She was always very, um, you know, agreeable and, you know, did what she had to do to, to um, you know, complete the mission. And uh, she's just uh, a huge value on that team. Um, and I guess that's that's one of the things I just wanted to draw attention to because although Brenna may not believe it, she hasn't she didn't know me back then. But when I was a new operator, I was much smaller and much leaner. And at the time I was recruited, I was also one of the smaller people on the team. So I was used to being the tunnel rat and pushed up into the attics. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the mission doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care, right? So if it's office down to officer rescue, and it's your turn turn up. It doesn't matter if you're the smallest operator or the biggest operator. The officer that's the decoy for that, you have to go get them. And I don't think, I mean, SRT being an operator is a thinking person's game. It's a thinking officer's game. But at some point, strength matters, right? The the yeah. ability to move heavy things matters. Yeah. And, and that's always been one of the things that impresses me the most about Officer Door on a call out is it doesn't matter, right? Grab the ram go grab one of the rat packs, pick up, you know, go boxes. Heavy things have to be moved and whoever's standing there has to move them and she never she never bats an eye. It's entirely uh, possible that her go bag is heavier than she is. Definitely. Like <laughs> almost 100% on that. Yeah. yeah. With the ammo load, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, so we've got a couple minutes left before we're going to cut you loose, Brenna, and send you back to you know, the, the type of investigative and enforcement operations work that you prefer instead of this okay. community outreach stuff. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that was on my list to talk about today uh, is our recently issued suspicious activity order. And uh, I didn't discuss this in any detail with command, but I, I put that order out and I modified it from the sample that we got from another PD. And the last line was that re responding officer or supervisor may elect to follow up with the caller to educate them on the importance of accurate reporting. Love it. And I, I, well, I don't think that this is known outside of this little small group, but I actually, that that's the officer door clause. Um, because I remember when we first started discussing this last summer, you were in my office for something else. And we had just dealt with what should have been treated as a suspicious activity call, but in reality was a suspicious person call. And when I shared with you what we were thinking about, you looked at me and said, if I get that call, I'm not going to find that person, but I am going to find that caller. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so just, can you just with a couple minutes, explain why you think that's important? Yeah, it's super important. Um, a lot of times, you know, we don't, we don't get to pick somebody's version of an emergency or, or what they believe is suspicious but we do have a job to educate um, the community so especially when we talk about um, you know perception of bias policing or um, emergency versus non-emergency matters and things like that um, as a patrol officer of course we respond to whatever you call us for but if I receive a report for um, you know something that is reported to be suspicious activity but it's really not and and I can hear um, some bias in the report or I can hear something that doesn't sound right in the report um, I think that it's super important that I verify the information with dispatch first but also that I follow up with the reporting party and, and find out what exactly it is that they're talking about um, and if it's a crime or not and, and if it's not a crime and it sounds like it's something biased, educating them accordingly 
um, even if I still have to make contact with the party they may have called on, um, it's more so going to be an introduction. And basically, I'm here because of this this uh, you know report. And now I'm going to take the time to go and talk to this person and educate them. So the the term that we kind of hit on during last year's in service that I inserted into that general order is transfer of bias. So we've spent a lot of time as an agency and as a profession here in the Commonwealth educating our people about mm -hmm. implicit bias and the importance of recognizing implicit bias and the importance of not engaging in bias-based policing. But as you said, reporting parties call and we go. And so what we have to protect ourselves from, protect the agency from, protect the public from is transfer of bias is somebody who's calling us purportedly for assistance calling us because of their implicit bias and are we now falling into a, a pattern of behavior mm. based on something that we don't control because of somebody else's lack of awareness Definitely. so so i thank you for um putting that in my mind when i was drafting and going through the revisions of that general order because when you when you said, well, I'm, I'm not going to find that person first, but I am going to find that caller. It's like, that's the best response I could hope for from one of our officers. Yeah, I just think it's super important. We have a, we have a lot of responsibility to the community, but, um, you know, using a tool is education, and, and sometimes it's not received well. Um, but if people take the time to reflect, it can definitely probably change the interactions that we're having with the community um, and, and help us build a better trust uh, within, you know, parts of the community that are a little more fearful of the police. Absolutely. Well, Brenna, thank you for being one of our rock stars. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Yeah, I have one. I have the most super important uh, thought of the day, and I don't think that she'll hear this, but my oldest daughter turned six today. She's six years old. So in case she happens to hear this, happy, happy birthday, Remy. Mama loves you so much. Happy birthday, Remy. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Remy. When when I get to the office and I post this, I will send you the podcast link so you can play that for. Okay, she'll be super embarrassed and excited at the same time. Thank you. <laughs> a six-year-old embarrassed? Come on. Gosh, so embarrassing. It is, it is your job as a mother to embarrass yeah, your child. Yeah, and I have a very short window left with her because she's almost <laughs> grown already, so I've got to take advantage of it now. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us this morning, Brenna. Thanks, All right, Lieutenant, let's get another check of the weather, some PSAs, and we'll come back after the break. Sounds good. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Winter weather advisory in effect until 7 p.m. EST this evening. Today, light snow this morning, then snow likely this afternoon. Total snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches. Cold with highs in the upper 20s. East wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of snow 80%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. A chance of snow in the evening, then a chance of snow showers after midnight. Cold with lows around 17. East wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming northwest after midnight. Chance of snow 50%. Weather. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, 
Visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. All right. Are you there, Chief? We are back on and yes. I'm here. Oh, there he is. Oh, we got a picture now. I didn't, I didn't right. hear any of our PSAs. It's answering emails. It's a, uh, a some new software. I'm still I'm still getting used to where everything is, and they were not apparent, so we skipped it. Got it. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. All right. Have our new guest join so us. So we have uh, we have swapped through. <coughs> yep. And uh, we have um, <coughs> Officer Steinman and Officer Tora. We ripped them off of the street for a few minutes. And, uh, All right, so so for our viewers and listeners at home, you are listening to On Patrol with the PPE <clears throat> here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Thanks for joining us again. We started the show talking to Officer Brenna Dorr, who has you know, a variety of collateral duties and responsibilities, but we said that we were going to talk a little bit later in the show about the importance of the field training program. So we are now joined in studio by Officer Kip Steinman, and his new probationer, Officer Tora. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, Chief. How's it going? It's well, going. Sir. It's going well. We're pulling you off the street. <laughs> if you could only see Kip's smile, like if you if you've never yeah, met sure. Kip, it literally <laughs> will probably stretch as, as wide as the screen that we have <laughs> on here. So it's always good so to be th- in his th- presence. So this is funny because Officer Steinman is is also somebody who probably has been ducking and weaving for almost two, almost two years now to avoid getting the call to come out to the studio. Probably more uh, than Brenna. Yeah, which is odd because <laughs> Officer Steinman is also probably one of our best known, most recognizable, most engaged officers in the community. It doesn't matter what community meeting I go to, where I am, people are like, oh, do you know Kip? I know Kip from so-and-so. I know Kip from basketball. I know Kip from when he used to work here. He's he's a great ambassador for the department, and, um, again, we're fortunate to have him. And I appreciate gonna be, The pressure is going to be off today, yeah. too, because yeah. it's all going to be on, yeah, right? on the new guy, right? So <laughs> I'm just to, staring I at the to, new guy. <laughs> I have to give you some bad news, Kip. We're going to have to get you back out into the studio solo at some point in time. Because today's topic is field training, so we won't be able to get into your actual outstanding uh, qualities and career and the work that you do for us on a constant basis, even when you're out of cycle. I got a, I got so, a good idea, Chief. I know when we can get him back here, too. Mm-hmm. When is that? Uh, well, Kip and I should be getting our degree around the same time, our associate's degree, right? You've got to mm-hmm. take a summer class. So when he gets back here, we can talk to him about his college that's awesome. That's right. Yes. That's a great idea. He's, he's my uh, classmate in one of my classes. Yep. All right. Yep. So we're going to put a pin in that. <laughs> All right. But today we want to talk about field training. So we've talked about field training on the past, on the show in the past. Um, we have, I think we're probably in our third full cycle of student officers or recruit officers that have gone through the academy and or uh, <clears throat> entered and completed field training since we started the program. And this this group that is in field training right now they're our pandemic class so we didn't have as much opportunity to interact with them as we did with say the previous class now, the previous class completed their academy during the pandemic and actually at the beginning they they cycled out of class 
right at the beginning of the lockdown. So for our viewers and listeners who have been with us for a while, they know that those student officers actually got assigned to the coordinating center at Second Street for a period of time until COVID protocols were put back in place and we could get them back in the academy. So we actually, you know, they were a captive audience. We got them out one after the other and put them on the radio program while they were still in the academy. Uh, Officer Torres' class, we couldn't do that with. They were training through the COVID uh, restrictions at the academy, but in order to comply with the academy's restrictions, we kind of had to keep our distance from them. So have to complete the entire academy, uh, I'm not gonna say unsupported, but with a completely different level of support than we're used to providing our student officers. Uh, and then come out of the academy, virtual graduation, we weren't allowed to attend, and then cycle into field training, which has got to be an enormous shift from being in a bubble. Uh, Officer Tora, how many student officers com completed training with your class? Uh, through the academy? Uh, through the academy. And you started with 25 or 26? 27, I believe. Okay. And, and a normal academy class is somewhere between 40 and 50. So 17 graduates from the academy program, I'm going to say that you and your classmates are probably going to be one of the closest, tightest-knit groups of student officers or recruit officers to come out of Western Mass ever. I, I think that's accurate, absolutely. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your academy experience. Uh, I mean, it was stressful. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and like you said, with the, with the COVID going on and everything, there was a lot of adjustments day to day. Uh, we really had no idea what we were doing, uh, when we were going to do it. Um, and the threat of going to Zoom constantly looming over our heads made it extra stressful. Um, but for the most part, the staff down there is great. So, I mean, it kind of went off without a hitch. They did a great job keeping it all together and, you know, persevering. I don't want to be a doomsayer, but what you just described about your academy experience has pretty much been the experience for frontline law enforcement for over a year. Not knowing what's coming next, not knowing what's going to be expected of us, going to Zoom at any minute. <laughs> it's That's been our life. It's so part of the excitement, You're, so. you're well prepared for that. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so before we get into the actual field training program, you, you just got started in that. Tell us a little bit about you. Where you're from, where'd you grow up, where'd you go to school, what are your interests? So originally I was born in Southern California. Uh, both my parents were in the military for 20 years, stationed in uh, Riverside County. Moved here right before third grade, lived in Lanesboro pretty much my entire childhood. Uh, been in Pittsfield ever since. I graduated Greylock High School in 05. Um, go Mounties. Absolutely. Um, and then... After that, I sort of, I thought I was going to go into the hospitality field, so I spent most of my time after graduation working various jobs in restaurants, pretty much any job you can have in a restaurant. And then uh, one day a guy I worked with just brought up taking the police exam, and at the time I was like, sure, why not? Because uh, we had both grown pretty tired of the restaurant experience. So I uh, did that and sort of took it and ran with it. Uh, as far as hobbies, I'm an outdoors person. I don't like being inside. I don't like being stationary. Um, so that's probably why law enforcement appeals to me so much. When you, uh, when you took the test, how long was the transition or how long was that period from the time you took that test to the time you actually got into the academy? Uh, eight or nine years. No, no, your first, your first test. Yeah. So 
How many tests did you take? Three, I believe. Yeah. It's crazy how long. My first but one got you postponed. You stuck with it. My first one actually got postponed because of the marathon bombing. Okay. So uh, it was, I don't know, it's a nightmare. The civil service process is... It, it's lengthy. Yeah. It, it's, and it, can, and it could be discouraging. Yep. Yeah. But, yep. you know, just kept taking it, stuck with it, and finally made it. So So we've talked about that in the past. It's, I'm not going to say it's rare, but what you're describing is not an uncommon experience for people to take the test multiple times before they actually get noticed that they're being considered. So to Officer Derby's question, from the time we sent you notice to sign the card or respond to the email that now corresponds to signing the card, to the time we got you into the academy, how long was that? It wasn't too long. I actually um, I signed my name twice, and then I just missed the cutoff the first time. And then I had uh, employment fall through basically with the state police so then two weeks later i was feeling really discouraged and then i actually had another email from the city and from then forward it was kind of a blur i mean it wasn't too long really i'd say maybe a year that's 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 about that's on the that's on the uh, low end really yeah i mean it it started it started really slow and then it changed to a whole nother gear and then it was all right so we're going in two weeks trying to get everything ready, trying to get prepared as much as we possibly can, and then you're there. And that's the figure that we normally utilize, is that if everything falls into place without interruption or hiccup, it's about a year from acknowledgement through the application of the background process to you know getting everything online, getting you into the academy, PAT, medical, all that stuff. Um, and then the academy under the new curriculum, how long were you in the academy? Uh, 22 weeks. And so, you know, you're now what, a year and a half into this process, and now you come out and we throw you in admin for uh, about a week and tell you you're going to cycle in the field training, which if everything goes as scheduled and planned is 14 weeks. So really we're talking about better than a year and a half from start to finish before you'll be out there on solo patrol. Yeah, I mean, that is what it is. So in, you're in your first assignment of first phase, right? Yes, sir. And I'm, I'm assuming because we managed to get our hands on you today that you're currently assigned to the day shift. That is correct. And you have Officer Steinman, who is one of our outstanding field training officers. He's sitting your back primary. here. Can you see him, Chief? He's just sitting back. I can't just, see him. Yeah, he's he's purposely he's he's pulling a door there. So <laughs> yeah, we gotta suck him there into the mic. Is. There, yep. there he is. He does not look very happy. <laughs> he's over there shaking and shivering, Chief. He's, <laughs> well, well, no, I have to, I have to remind you guys that there's a significant delay on the on the version that I can see on my Roku oh, from no. where you are. So I'm seeing him about 15 seconds behind. So, is that just that's just the 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 video, not the audio, then? Yeah, just the video. So, all right. So, how many days are you into your first field training rotation? Uh, I'm starting my fourth day. That must have been a blur. Yeah. Um, it was kind of weird because you spend all this time preparing, and then I got in the cruiser for the first time and realized that I couldn't possibly be prepared because, <laughs> I mean, you go from the academy setting super controlled, and then all of a sudden you're, you're out there and you're 
I don't know. I'm holding on to Kip for dear life. <laughs> I don't know. Kip, Kip's got like uh, sunburns yeah. on his arm from your. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm settling in now. Though I, you know, I'm understanding some some basic stuff. So, hopefully, it won't be so too I don't long re- I'm confident. I don't remember if I said it in the time that I came down and addressed you before we sent you to the academy, or if I said it when I came down and spoke to you last week. But that's what you just described is one of the unusual and unique aspects of law enforcement that I, I don't think people outside of law enforcement understand well enough, or even some people who come to law enforcement thinking they have an understanding. So it, the academy process is much team-oriented, right? You're in a regimented, uniform, paramilitary kind of structure. Everything is done as a unit. And then we bring you out of the academy and put you in a pipeline that's intended to make you completely self-sufficient as an individual. You know, so 14 weeks from now, under the guidance of your field training officers, we'll put you in a car by yourself. And the your main responsibility for the duration of your shift will be to work independently, you know, closely supervised. But at any given time, you may be required to integrate fully with the rest of your shift or any other resources that come on duty and go right back into that team or unit mentality. It's It's almost like split personality. Yeah, no, it's definitely two different gears, totally. Um, luckily, the first phase, it's been, with the weather, it's been, like, a little slow. So, you know, I've had an opportunity to did really just, ease into did stuff. He just say, did he just say that? <laughs> Not on some wood right now. Oh, man. <laughs> open open the door. He's gone. Kip probably doesn't agree with me, but I would, <laughs> I would like to see some, some stuff going on. I want to I wanna move. I want to get stuff done. That'll be the first conversation in the car. <laughs> You're on your own. There we go. Let me tell you, kid, don't you ever do that to me in front of the chief again. <laughs> Sorry, kid. Start with the never, ever say to the Q word. Or the S word. <laughs> and you don't have to practice being busy. And, you know, I think one of the, you know, the best things is, you know, every FTO, um, you know, being part of the FTO program with Kip and, and probably for about the same time, um, each FTO that you're going to go with has, you know, different, um, uh, what do you mean call it? You know, we have different things. We, we have different uh, training. We have different things that we bring to the table. And But I personally think, and, and, and this is not, you know, patting my buddy on the back here, but definitely going with Kip, having Kip as your FTO for the first time. He's 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 been in this job long enough, and he's just he's like, listen, you're, you're going to be here for thirty something years if you you know if you fulfill the the full assignment um, till retirement, and it's like you're going to have thirty something years to do every single thing, um, and I think a lot of you know and, and myself included, and I'm sure Kip was there when he was first starting out. You're like hungry, you're just like go 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 go. You know, it's like okay, this that and this and that. And that's exciting for us as FTOs, but then it's just like we, we, we see ourselves, you know, looking back on, oh, man, you know, just like, got to slow it down. You got to slow it down. But at the same time, we just, I, I get excited when they just want to do something. So it kind of motivates us, yeah. too, you know. You know, so I was just having a conversation with somebody on the training side, not within our department. And uh, it's talking about the fact that we can send a new recruit to the police academy. And in the academy environment with scenario-based training and everything we do, we, we can teach a police officer to investigate a crash. We can teach a police officer to make an arrest. We can teach a police officer physical skills. We can teach them to do the reports. We can 
run them through exercises that will simulate testifying in court. But despite the best efforts to modify and, and modernize the curriculum, the one thing that we can't adequately teach in the academy is the, the most, in my opinion, the most essential part of being a successful police officer. And both Officer Steinman and Officer Derby uh, manifest this every day. And that is the ability to speak to anybody you encounter in the community in a respectful and professional manner. Um, you know, and both of you have a wide variety of experiences that you brought to the table before we recruited you as police officers. And, and Kip, your experiences prior to joining the department, we, we get conversations from supervisors and commanders all the time about your ability to go out into the community and engage with people from all walks of life, um, engage them in conversation, get them talking. And we've said this on, in the show in the past, the ability to talk to somebody in such a way to, to get them to willingly cooperate with us and provide information is the basis of all that we do. <clears throat> if, if you can't talk to people, you can't do this job appropriately and properly. And unfortunately, in the last year, we've actually dealt with a candidate that that, that was exactly what their issue was. They couldn't talk to people. Um, you know, so you can be the, the best emergency vehicle operations driver in the world. You can be the best DT person in the world. You can be the best report writer in the world. If you can't talk to people and get them talking to you, mm -hmm. you won't be successful at this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about treating people with respect, you know, no matter what they've done, uh, no matter their past. You know, treat them, I tell these guys, treat them like you want to be treated. And it goes a long way, you know. You get guys coming up to you, you know, male, female, that you might have arrested before, and they're thanking you for the way, you know, you treated them. And it's these people that come back with um, information on, on, you know, major crimes. It's just it, you, you build a rapport with the people that's, that's important to our job, and uh, it's what keeps me going in this job. Actually, it's the connections that you make over the years. You know, and like you know, like you said, Chief, you can go anywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. You could go to a, a coffee with a cop with uh, a ninety-year-old uh, uh, group of of our residents, and they know Kip, or they know Kip's family, right? And oh, yep. you know, you tell Officer Steinman that you know we we want to we say hello, you know. So it's that that yeah. type of rapport. But he left an impression on them, or he left an impression on somebody else who knows them. And said, "Hey, listen, I had oh my gosh, officer Kip's time, and they'll talk about you like your your family, you know. So that's 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 huge, and that's if we if you can't get that early on, it, it's it's a struggle. You're absolutely correct, but you don't have to imitate the voices when you're oh uh, gosh, parting the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just busting your chops. It was hilarious. I'm a little raspy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kip, um, for our viewers and listeners, I mean, just and and to remind me, what did you do before you decided to become a police officer? <laughs> I did, I did about twenty different jobs, but um, I worked at Crane and Company uh, for like four years, and I decided to go on my own and do painting. So I was doing my own painting, and I was working with a good friend of mine doing concrete work. And uh, Lieutenant Jeff Bradford, I used to always see at at uh, Christmas parties, and he used to always tell me to take the test because I had college criminal justice, uh, you know, like 100 credits uh, of, towards a four-year degree. And I kept telling him I would, I would, but I never did. And then uh, finally I just decided to take the test. 
And uh, after close to two years, uh, Sheriff Bowler called me up and, you know, asked me if I was still interested in becoming a police officer. And I said, yeah, sure, you know. And he says, well, come on down to the station, and uh, uh, I got a application packet you got to fill out. Was he a detective then? He was. He was, yeah. Yep. How old were you? Uh, I was 35 when I got on. So wow. I've been on for just a little over 16 years. And the packet was like a, a book, and it needed to be in the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I didn't know if I had it in me to, you know, tell somebody to get down on the ground at gunpoint. You know, I never really fired a gun or anything else. You know, I was always into sports and stuff. And, and, uh, but you learn it. You know, you, you, I, I did it for my, my young boys at the time and for the benefits and, and, and for the job to help people. So it was a good move. It was a good move on my part. And, uh, you know, I do the job the best I can, and, and I'm here to help people. So it was certainly a good move for us. So I, I would be remiss in the time that I, we have left before we go talk about some activities and, and pl upcoming plans. If I didn't point out, because we've been saying it since the beginning of the show, Officer Steinman, Officer Steinman, Officer Steinman. Officer Steinman is of the Steinmans, right? We're, we're talking about basketball royalty <laughs> in <Western> Massachusetts. <laughs> I, I don't know that in my adult life I've gone a month without seeing somebody with that last name oh, yeah. plastered over the front page of the sports section about some huge accomplishment, right? Whether it's thousand point games or setting, you know, record or hall of fame, it's quite literally like the, the Royal family of basketball out here. And, and Kip, you, you were quite the athlete yourself. You know, I appreciate that. You know, coming from a family of eight, you know, my parents used to tell us to, Get out of the house and go do Get something. Outside, and and yeah. we were right next to Dorothy Amos Park. And, and I'll tell you, the west side was the best side back in the day. And, and there'd be the park would be filled with about 100, 150 people waiting to play the next game in basketball. And you try to get the best team to keep winning and, and, and stay on the court. And that's all we did. We just played basketball day in and day out. And those relationships that started for you as a child on Dorothy Amos Park are the same relationships that we were talking about earlier that allow you to talk to people from any walk of life, anywhere in our city. Absolutely. You know, the, the people that are still around and stuff from the neighborhood uh, have nothing but respect from me, and I love the guys and, and women from, from the neighborhood. So it's good to see a lot of people still around. And they love you. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, they just love his smile, Chief. Yeah. It's just, that's... How, how could you not? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We've we've embarrassed Kip enough. So, <laughs> Officer Tora. Yes, sir. What are you looking forward to the most in the next uh, thirteen weeks of field training? Um, I mean, besides graduating the program, I would yes. I would say um, I'm trying to keep my goals really short, short term. Um, I'm looking to close up this week, and you know, after that, I would like to start getting more involved in some in some of the stuff going on. Um, but obviously I don't want to jump in too fast cause I tend to, I tend to overcommit to things and bite off more than I can chew sometimes. So I'm trying to, trying to keep myself reined in a little bit. That's something you may have in common with every person who's on this program this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what did you, what did you say your background was before you came here? Uh, I worked in a restaurant. So like foods, food services. Yeah. So chief, I mean, it, he doesn't realize it yet, but you know, it's just, you never know when you might get a phone call saying, Hey, you know what, officer Tori, we need your expertise down here. And we got a, we got a supply 
I don't know, 600 <laughs> meals to somebody, and you are going to be the man in charge. I'm on it. All right. There we go, so, Chief. So you said that to be kind of humorous and facetious, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you. Cause it's, it, it's a possibility. Well, here, two things, right? <laughs> so number one is, and we realized this, not during the last cycle, but during the previous cycle, people who came up and spent a lot of time working in the hospitality sector, similar to what we just talked about with Officer Steinman, they have a distinct advantage in dealing with people in the community, people who, particularly people who are unhappy in the community. If you can deal with an unruly customer or you can deal with somebody that you have to turn off or cut off at the bar, you're, you're going to be okay talking to people in the community. I appreciate the but, confidence. <laughs> but the other but the other thing we realized and I, I ask this in all of the interviews now and Officer Tor can say this, I always ask, and this is based on conversation uh, I can say it was with Captain Strike, what skills you have that you don't that you don't think we want to know about that we want to know about? Because what we have found is we'll be in a situation, a set of circumstances, and we'll be trying to come up with some plan based on cop mind. And somebody who's not on the planning team will say, and in the particular case that taught me this was Captain Strait, prior to joining us, was a plumber. And so we're doing ops planning for a drug raid, and we're trying to plan all these detailed things that we might be able to do to keep the destruction of evidence from happening. And Marty was like, well, I'll just go in there and butt stroke the toilet tank, and that'll stop it. I don't know how much time, I don't know how much time we spent trying to figure out a complicated plan before that, but he had the answer. And I just, I was like, why didn't you say something at the outset? We've been here for hours. You're trying to go back to your training in the academy. You're <laughs> right. like, okay, wait a minute, plumbing, plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to infiltrate the neighborhood in a DPW truck at 3 o'clock in the morning and shut off the water in the roadway. No, we'll butt stroke the toilet. We're good. <laughs> so, all right. We got about uh, two minutes. minutes left. All right, so with the two minutes we have left, the – it's cold and there's snow coming, but you know what? It's the Berkshires. I got out on my snowshoes for the first time last Monday on the holiday. Um, you know, you can get outside, you can enjoy the weather, you get dressed for it, but it's been a long year. Don't, don't let the pandemic keep you from enjoying stuff. We're still in the middle of 10 by 10. There is a ton of stuff going on. Um, this is yesterday, so I can't read that. Um, virtual dance party. With Jacob's pillow, and jazz music going on on Kip, Saturday. On you are on that, Kip. <laughs> <laughs> I just called him out, Chief. <laughs> nice. The, virtu the virtual art show at the uh, Lichtenstein Center. All kinds of events going on downtown. All kinds of events going on out at Hancock Shaker Village. There is so much to do here in the Berkshires. We, as locals forget sometimes to take advantage of all of these cultural opportunities that people travel from all over the world to do. So do that. Get out, um, support a local restaurant, do some takeout or delivery, spend some time um, seeing the things that people travel from all over here to, to participate in. But most importantly, you know, until we talk again during our next episode, uh, just be well, stay healthy, 
maintain your your hygiene and social distancing protocols but most importantly be kind to one another thanks for tuning in again to another new episode of on patrol with the ppd here on wtbr 89.7 fm pittsfield community radio simulcast on pittsfield community television until next week we'll-